Hello. Uh, welcome to Kitchen Radio on this Friday afternoon. You're, of course, listening to ACCC 102.1 FM in Alice Springs and in Tennant Creek. And you might be listening to this online at ACCC.com.au or on Radio Garden, or it might be a podcast after the fact. That opening track was Paul Kelly uh, from the album Foggy Highway. And, of course, the track was They Thought I Was Asleep. I'd like to welcome my special guest tonight, Margaret Carew. Margaret, does that song make you feel like you're a child again in the 60s and the 70s? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I, I, whenever I hear that, I just feel like I'm a kid again, particularly with the, the brother and the sister and I can just feel like... Sliding around on the vinyl backseat. Yeah, yeah. I reckon my, my parents are probably fighting, not just having a, uh, a, a normal conversation or a... You know, intimate conversation as that implies. I reckon they would have been arguing. Yeah. Um, that's and that just feeling of being asleep and then yeah, being picked up and carried into the house and waking up and <laughs> your yeah. dad going, "Oh, you All kids, clean the car." But anyway, <laughs> um, but no, there is something really lovely about that song. It's one of my favourite songs. I and mean, the reason I I chose it tonight is because um, you and I are going to take a little bit of a nostalgic journey into what I consider good old skippy cooking. Now I've got to say, look, I understand the term skip or skippy might be derogatory for some, but apologise for that. I suppose I consider myself a skip, a wog, a cattle tig, all those types of uh, terms. And so I I decided that I would use the term skip. But really, what I'm talking about is some of that what we consider about that that rather old sort of colonial or um, white fella cooking and I suppose this came about because last week Margaret um, you turned up we were at a social occasion and you turned up with some uh, with a dish and you all I remember is that you apologized for it and I overheard and it was tuna mornay and I was just so excited when I heard that because I haven't eaten tuna mornay for years and you know I kept going back all night and I kept going back and having a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. It always ticks the boxes. Yeah, I know. And so I really wanted to do a show exploring that idea of Australian cuisine, if we dare call it to that, and particularly Australian food prior to the significant development with the arrival of, you know, the Italian and, and the Greek. For me at the moment in the middle of winter, I just love this food. It's so, so really like going back to being a kid and eating a lot of that food that um, – that my mum cooked. But I would like to start off with that idea that we always somehow feel the need to apologise for Australian food. And, and why? what are those qualities of Australian food that we feel we need to apologise for? Well, I think we all find comfort in the food that we ate when we were growing up. Mm. And I know I did. Um, grow up eating that kind of food we had roast lamb we had chops we always meat and three veg corned beef and that was the sort of food that my mum and dad grew up eating they were both from the western district of Victoria my dad grew up on a farm where they were basically self-sufficient and my mum came out of um, rural poverty really her parents were quite um, poor Catholics Mm -hmm in a way on the margins of society down there and um you know they just ate what what was available um and that was their their way and um when mum got married she was still quite young and um she had kids straight away and dad went to work and mum got a meal on the table every evening at 6 p.m and (laughs) good on her um how many kids oh we had six kids in our family yep 
So mum just, I don't think she ever really loved cooking, uh, but she did it. And, you know, she was a great homemaker and, and cared for us and we were always well fed. But then as we got older, we started bringing home lots of influences ourselves. And of course, there was more food available in the supermarket. And just where I grew up was near Dandenong uh, on the eastern side of Melbourne. And it's quite close to the Springvale Migrant Hostel. Mm -hmm. And so my schoolmates were mainly migrants, the children from migrant family, and they ate a huge range of exotic foods which um, really opened our eyes mm. so we started bringing those influences home and I think also my mum probably instilled that sense of apology because she never really felt that her cooking was anything flash and I think she developed a bit of an inferiority complex about it as we started showing off with all of these new foods and yeah. skills and still remember when we brought home two-minute noodles and mm. Um, I remember mum bringing home margarine from the supermarket and we were like, wow, you know, it had been butter and, and lard till then. And then I actually did um, cooking training as part of hospitality training at William Anglis College and we, I, I learned a lot of, um, I learned French cooking there and it was kind of interesting because the, the French term for really plain cooking is à l'anglaise, like, mm. like the English. Like the English, yeah. And our background was Irish but... I guess it is that, you know, very, very plain cooking. Mm. And so, you know, we just kind of, I guess, thought that we were going to move on from that. Mm. And, you know, we learned how to make pasta and all of the fantastic Asian dishes that were fused with cuisines from all over the world. And we all follow food fads and trends and I do that, but there's still something in a simple well done roast lamb yeah. corned beef beautiful mashed potatoes um i think now what i tend to do is trick it up a bit so mm -hmm. for example the tuna mornay that i made is a bit different from my mum's um it's got the same basic ingredients a tin of tuna pasta um bechamel sauce and cheese mm. but i always add anchovies and capers okay to it because I like that bit of piquancy mm. through the through the dish. It can be a bit stodgy. I use mushrooms because I prefer yeah, it so to I, capsicums. Yeah, I tasted that. It was nice, mm. yeah. I think the texture is really good. And I always like do the – because there's always a uh, breadcrumb topping on mm. a proper tuna casserole, as we grew up calling it. And um, my mum used to just mix a bit of um, melted butter with the breadcrumbs, but mm. I use the anchovy oil Ooh. and grated parmesan and a bit of grated parsley and a bit of, um, you know, that gremolata, a yep. bit of lemon rind, and I think that makes it really, really yummy. Yeah. Um, and I, I do wonder if there is like a resurgence in sort of like um, modernised, a modernised version of, of some traditional Australian foods, because I, I do know if you, if you follow or you read some gourmet travellers, you'll see there... A cauliflower cheese, yeah, where they've used, you know, anchovies in the, the crumb on the top. So um, it is about sort of like starting off with those really simple foods and then mm. making them, uh, burying them. But I did like this idea of, of why, in fact, those Australian foods are considered, you know, boring. And, and I sort of came up with some ideas about it that they were sort of regarded as being like low in flavour. 
low in, low in texture and, and complexity and then also high in like meat and carbs. So that's kind of why they've, I suppose, been relegated to the, I suppose, pretty much unfashionable food for a long time, you know, as over sort of Asian foods, which are often sort of higher in vegetables and um, le- less meat and mm. more and complexity more of flavours. Yeah. yeah. Um, and often a quicker to cook, you know, like a, a roast does take a while to cook. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it d- relies on there being a homemaker there who can watch mm. a um, watch a dish and, you know, just pay attention to its um, creation in that way. Although, I mean, we all do those kind of long cooks as mm. well. I think the roast <laughs> in our family it was always a Sunday thing, and we'd go to church on Sunday morning. So Mum would whack the, uh, oh, the wow. roast. The leg of lamb yeah, yeah, in, the yeah, oven, in the oven, yeah. the potatoes, the pumpkin, the onions, the parsnip, the carrots. Yeah. And then you'd go off to church, come back and the meal would be cooked. Yeah. All you had to do was um, fish it out, make the gravy yeah. and Dad would cut the meat up and it would be on the plates and served up. So that was a sort of a, a just fit with that yeah. The whole sort of cycle. Routine. Of, yeah, yeah, the routine yeah. of doing things. And we always had chop suey on a Sunday night. Oh, I remember chop suey. Yep, yum. It was Chow just, mein and chop suey. Yep, French <gasps> onion soup or chicken noodle soup, I think it was actually. Yeah. Um, minced meat and rice. And that was like about as exotic as, as yeah. it got for us, but we loved it. <laughs> and just going back to that thing about, you know, these foods that are not flavourful, but you've got fat and salt. Yeah. And that packs a fair wallop. Yeah. Yeah, they can be mm. yummy as mm. well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be good to talk about sort of the foods that we're talking about. So we've talked about like roasts, which in reality are actually quite a simple meal to mm. cook. It's, mm. just, it's just you've got to get everything in at the right time. So what are some of the other foods that we've talked about? So there was corned beef. Mm-hmm. I, I made a shepherd's pie the other day. Yep, shepherd's pie I just, was another one I didn't one actually do a very good did. job a of it. when she got a bit Oh, fancier. meatloaf. Oh. Yeah. My mother would make this thing called a Glamorgan sausage and mm. it was like her mum had made that and she would make it in little um, – you remember the Uncle Toby's oats cylindrical tins you used to get them in? So she would actually cook it in that and boil it up. I always loved it. Yeah, Not very flavoursome but kind of fun. You've yeah. just sparked a memory. My mum used to make a – uh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, steam pudding. She would oh yeah, it. and she used to get tins, and we used to always joke with her that she was using dog food tins, but she would never <laughs> use a dog food tin. But she'd make the steam puddings up, and she'd do about four, and she'd put the mixture in, and it was a basic sort of batter with some mixed fruit, mm-hmm. uh, including the candied orange peel, delicious. And that would go in the pressure cooker and she would cook those off and they were yummy. And she'd serve those with custard that was made from custard powder. As of course, it as it should be. <laughs> so that's like a little boiled pudding that she's making. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, like a plum pudding. but uh, Lighter. Lighter. Steam pudding, yep. And her mum made that. So we are going to talk about desserts and puddings later on. Um, but I'm just going through the list. So like... Uh, back to like lamb chops with mashed potato, sausages and mash. I still, I'm still a bit of a fan with of sausages mm. and mash, but of course, I'm sort of like you. We'll end up putting it, doing a salad with it. So you've got mm. some veg there. Stew and dumplings. Yeah, stew yeah. and dumplings. Um, yeah, Mum used to make a stew, um, and I still remember it not that fondly. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it was usually beef and she'd do it in the pressure cooker. And the thing that I really didn't like about it, I didn't really love the texture of her gravy because she'd thicken it at the end yeah. with a slurry of flour, flour and, and water. water. So yeah. she wouldn't make a roux and cook that off. I think that's a you know a step forward that we do that. Yeah. Uh, but she would thicken it at the end with flour and water. But the other thing that... <laughs> I still remember was she'd cut the carrots really big and to this day I still can't stand chunky carrots <laughs> like cut in rounds. Yeah. So, you know, poor mum. They were they were pretty tasty all yeah. the same and they certainly fed us and kept Look, us alive. Stew does have a pretty bad reputation. I know I've often been accused of not making a proper stew. I would like make an Italian style stew. Mm-hmm. So um for me my stews are great, but I, I, I think occasionally I have had another stew someone something maybe cooked in a pub or something like that and it's been like you talked about and it's been pretty terrible so mm. i think you can flash up a stew pretty quick like i think you think tagine you think beef bourguignon you think goulash you know, there's you think you know, about something that's like that from another cuisine and yeah you know you throw in some smoked paprika some yeah yeah preserved lemon and but why i think it? also technique like just thinking a bit about the technique and when you add things, don't just throw it all in the pressure yeah. cooker right at the start of the cook and boil yeah. the clappers out of it. Which reminds me, do you have a pressure cooker? Oh, yeah. I oh, okay. We talked about pressure cookers last mm. week with Dallas and I'm, I've am i never had one and I'm, yeah, I'm terrified a of, the pressure of cooker. them. I always do my corned beef in the pressure cooker. <laughs> Corn beef. Well, we're going to go through the recipes, but I just want to I just want to mention pea and ham soup because you mm. and I we have we did have a bit of a discussion or a, a Google discussion about pea and ham soup, mm. which my mum always made and I I really love. But you have a different um, history with pea and ham soup. Yeah, we never had pea and ham soup. It was a bit flash for us. I think uh, we didn't really have peas or lentils. But what mum did used to do was with that roast lamb that we were talking about earlier, she would get the lamb bone and she would boil that up with, uh, you know, your basic foundational vegetables, onion, carrot, celery, and always swede. Mm -hmm. And then she would add pearl barley. Oh, yeah. And that was a yummy soup. It's a a subtle soup. Uh, She still makes it. We still eat it happily. It's lovely. Yeah, I do like barley in a soup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're sort of talking about food that has influences from Ireland and England. It seems to be that we're talking about whitefella cuisine. But I've got to say, it's not quite as simple as that because I think for a lot of um, Aboriginal people, this is very sort of typical of some of the food that would be cooked. And there's a Facebook page called Mob Feeds. And this was just some of the food. So people are cooking food and posting their food. And it's... um, Sausage curry and fried scones, uh, banana fritters with cinnamon, sugar and ice cream, silver mm. side with cauliflower, broccoli, cheese, roast pumpkin and honey carrots, and then a beef and mushroom casserole with veggies. Mm-hmm. But when I read this, I was like, oh, my God, fried scones. I, my <laughs> mum made fried scones. I wouldn't have had a fried scone for like many, many years. Mm. Do you, never did had you, a fried Never had a fried life. scone. Could I just tell listeners out there, go out and find a recipe for fried scones. They are amazing. They're just like scones and they're deep fried. Are they like a Johnny cake? Well, see, I don't know what a Johnny cake is. Yeah, it's- so I've had Johnny cakes out bush um, with mob 
And they're like a, I think they're not really a scone. It's more like a pancake batter, but it's a th- really thick pancake batter mm-hmm. with bicarb in it. Mm-hmm. And they're fried in a pan with oil mm. and they come out quite crispy and mm. with a bit of butter and yeah, they, mm. and jam. They go down really well too. Yeah, look, I think when my mum made them, she just make a, like a normal scone batter. And mm-hmm. rather than bake it, she just deep fried it. Yeah, and then you'd have that with what like have I been missing? golden syrup and with butter. Yeah. And my God, how many calories are you eating? But it just, it was just fantastic. Yeah, and I think there's something about that magic ingredient, golden syrup. Like that's the real old Aussie yeah. sweetener. And that's one of those, if you looked at what are the ingredients that are used like, typically in, in what, what we call you know Australian cuisine, like golden syrup turns up time and time mm. again. Mm-hmm. Pineapple does. Pineapple, Does yep. as well. And also like the salting of beef seems to, you know, and I know that's from sort of prior to there being fridges mm. and, and having mm-hmm. to preserve meat, that seems to come yep. up And I like quite a bit. the fat on meat as well. Yeah. Don't be scared of the fat. Condensed milk. Mm. Evaporated milk. Yeah, yeah. We were more an evaporated milk family more than condensed milk. <laughs> But yeah. I can't quite remember it featuring in yeah. food. I actually, I have to admit, I went and bought some evaporated milk during the um, the, the, the you know, early days of the COVID crisis, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> I was no, it was just there was nothing in the supermarket. There was no, there was no UHT milk. There was no powdered milk. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, what's what's left? And there was carnation milk left. And, and have thought, you used it? No, in of your course not. Reader. Or poured any in your coffee. No. You know, my mum used to make ice cream out of it. And oh, I think, yeah. Yes, that's what mum did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it must be really old. And it's actually like a, a kufli. When I look, if you look at a kufli recipe, it's not dissimilar to that oh, sort of um, evaporated milk ice cream, which was more of a solid ice cream. I used to wish my mum would make proper ice cream like you bought. But yeah. it's actually yeah, like it came a, a kufli. Second, but we still ate it. Yeah. You know? yeah we were happy we to too. eat it when there was no ice cream and mum had made ice cream. And yeah. she used to use this. Uh, an aluminium tray yeah, yeah, yeah. that was especially for making ice cream and it had these dividers in it, a yeah. bit like ice blocks. Like except, ice blocks. Yeah, except not like ice cubes but the same principle yeah. and they were loose but you put them in. Yeah, uh, and then, so you, like and then an you twisted them. Or, and you twisted yeah. them and out came these, these ice blocks of ice cream yeah. made with... Yeah. Condensed. Oh, I think evaporated. Evaporated milk. milk yeah, mm. and there was always aluminium so that it would yep. chill really well. That's oh it. my god, we really are sort god, of the memories going are back flowing. in time. Food and memories. <laughs> We're going to have a little bit of a, a, a mid-show song break. Uh, it's a surprise. I'm going to play it and then we can talk about it afterward. And that was, of course, uh, Slim Dusty singing "Looking Forward, Looking Back." Margaret just showed me this amazing book called James Carew. And it's a book that she wrote and produced with her dad and it's on her dad's life. Margaret, I'd love you to read a little bit out of that book because it's really lovely. Okay. So, yeah, dad was very nostalgic about his mum's cooking and it actually did become a little bit of a bone of contention at times with mum because, again, the inferiority (laughs) complex. (laughs) But I'll just read a paragraph of uh, something that my dad said about his mother's cooking. Mum cooked wonderful meals. I still think about her seasoned roast rabbits cooked in the oven in the wood-fired stove and roast lamb and bread and butter puddings, things like that. 
Mum was always bent over the stove cooking, whereas my father would have a kid on his knee singing a song and telling stories to the family who'd gathered around the big kitchen table. Yeah, so that's a, a real picture of my father's childhood that I actually really grew up with. Dad was very nostalgic about his, yeah, where he came from, uh, a back blocks farm in the Western District where uh, they basically grew all their own food yeah. and they'd frequently run out of meat and mum's, uh, dad's mum would say, oh, Jim, you know, we're out of meat and he'd walk out with a piece of wire and knock a few rabbits off tussocks because, <laughs> of course, the rabbit plague was <laughs> a thing back yeah. then. And, yeah, so they ate a lot of rabbits yeah. and they ate a lot of lamb. And, and both of us have got parents who would have been at an age like pre-refrigeration as well. So I think our parents mm. grew up in a time when there wasn't refrigeration and there was, I suppose, almost what we've talked about with that peasant sort of style cooking mm. where you actually have to go out and you need some meat, you go out and you, you hunt your meat. And yeah, and you eat all of yeah. the animal as well. Yeah, and you've got to sort of cook around what you, you've got, almost that sort of that local idea as well. And that, mm. I think must have influenced our parents in terms of their cooking as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's interesting too talking to Dad that there were certain foods that uh, they just didn't eat. Like, for example, they grew corn on the farm mm-hmm. and they had pigs. They never ate corn because it was food for it the was, pigs. It was pig food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was sort of a bit weird for Dad to uh, eat corn later on. Like he always associated that with mm. pig food. So let's go through some recipes and some variants. So we've talked about cauliflower cheese or cauliflower mornay. And I don't know if we need to go through that again, um, except for the variant. I suppose the recipe, of course, is, you know, you, you boil up your cauliflower or broccoli, you put it with a bechamel or a white sauce with cheese in it and uh, put cheese on the top. But you and I have got different variations on this. Mm. I always put uh, breadcrumbs on the top. Mm-hmm. And what I've started doing, and this was from a recipe book recently, I've started baking the cauliflower rather than boiling it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's something that in quite probably just in the last year I've started roasting cauliflower and yeah. it's been a huge revelation to me. Then you've got to make sure you don't eat it all before it goes in the, it's the cauliflower cheese. It is it's so nice. It's like a snack. It's beautiful. Yeah. And but, it, yeah, I was just going to say when um, we were growing up we often had cauliflower and I wouldn't. I don't call it cauliflower cheese because Mum never put cheese in the white oh, sauce. Oh, really? No, she just made a white sauce. Oh, I know. And we, I didn't really like it. No, you've got to <laughs> have so much cheese. I don't like cheese. cauliflower. Yeah. <laughs> and she would just like mash the pumpkin, and so you know it was all yeah. those kinds of quick ways to get the food on the table, yeah. I guess. But yeah, once I realised you could put cheese in it, oh yeah. But uh, I like to uh, cook the, I just, well, I've always just steamed the cauliflower and then I mix it through the sauce yeah. and then bake oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I always just squash it down as well oh, and nice make it, it sort of packed oh. in. I've just, that's just my preference. It must be a hangover from all of the tuna <laughs> casserole we ate growing up. Because it's the opposite. Like I, I make sure I just, you know, I just lightly place my cauliflower down and then I just pour the sauce over it and I try and cover it and I don't. Mm. Any, I don't think there's a right or a wrong on no, any of this. We should have this. cook off and see which one's nicer. <laughs> you know, my mum started off doing a lot of Australian cooking. My mum's Australian. My dad, um, you know, grew up with Italian parents and with it, Italian as his first language. But um, she had a big change in her cooking, um, probably early 70s, and she stopped cooking all those sort of all of those Australian foods, except for things like corned beef. 
and she would continue. We would almost have it every Saturday night. Mm. And we would have the, you know, the boiled beef, boiled potatoes still with their skin on, um, carrots or pumpkin and peas with a white sauce with um, the onion through it. Moment um, winter hits here, that's what I want to... Yeah, I'm a huge fan of corned beef and I still believe very strongly that you need to have it with mashed potato. Oh. It's not quite right. <laughs> but I've... I, I don't do the other veg like the peas and carrots. Mm. I'll make a salad and I, I really loved uh, – I, I like to do a cabbage, like a coleslaw or sometimes some wilted cabbage mm-hmm. I think is perfect with it. And uh, when I worked in the pub starting at age 14, working in the pub kitchen, the old girls in there would always make corned beef and they taught me how to make the mustard sauce. Okay. And I always do the mustard sauce. Mum never did the mustard sauce. So how would they make the mustard sauce? Like what I call the white sauce? Yeah, so, well, I make a roux yep. and cook that off. And then I use some of the liquor from the cooking of the corned beef and add that to, you know, mm-hmm. make the sauce. And then I use seed mustard. Wow. Yeah, flavour it up with that. Uh, you don't put milk in it and make it. No, I don't make milk. Yeah. I don't use milk. I okay. use the the cooking liquor. Yeah. Wow. I had beef. no idea. It's there you go. Old, Try yeah. it next time. Um, this is the standard that I always follow, which is that you you have to rinse the corned beef before you put it in a big large amount of water, and then I always add onions. Traditionally, it's bay leaf uh, as well as onions, uh, peppercorns, cloves, brown sugar. But I'm a little bit I, – I, I vary that these days mm. and I put juniper berries mm. and often I'll put pomegranate molasses mm. as well. Mm. Um, I haven't I'm, tried either of those. But one thing I do always put in is a cinnamon stick and a kaffir lime leaf. Oh, really? Because kaffir lime just goes with everything. Yeah. I find it's a really good flavour. Sometimes I use a bit of mandarin peel. That's a great idea. If I don't have kaffir yeah. lime leaves because I think mandarin peel, you've got to be careful with it, can over flavour. Yeah. But yeah. if you're a bit careful with it, just use a little bit or don't have it in there for too long. But I common, I always use the pressure cooker for corned beef. Okay. Because it halves the cooking time. So that idea of, um, you know, half an hour for every uh, 500 grams, mm. For you, it would take less time than that in the pressure yeah, cooker. Yeah, yeah. I usually do it for about 45 minutes, just okay. going on a sort of a fairly standard piece. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the only other thing too is to know when you it's ready. So I always make sure I just can penetrate it with a mm. fork or a knife mm. and then leave it in, take it off the hot plate and leave it in the water until you're ready to serve it up. Yeah. You and you can slice it and then put the slices back in. Oh, that's a good too. idea. That's what the pub always did. They'd so when you get them, up. they're really moist. That's a great yeah. idea. So, yeah, because you don't want to be slicing up for service. No, you want it all there you want it ready, ready to, to go. go. Yeah. One of the things I've been doing lately with corned beef is getting a large enough piece so that the next day I can make Reuben mm-hmm. sandwiches mm-hmm. because corned beef is the closest thing to New York style pastrami. It's mm. not quite the same but it's a close relative Mm. and it's it's got its own magic yeah yeah translates well into a reuben sandwich yeah my mum would always make um corned beef fritters which she would put them in batter and deep fry them Mm. Mm. with tomato sauce oh heavens yeah yeah and i've got to say um back to my childhood and the roast beef we would have uh, sorry roast beef roast lamb 
um, we would have roast lamb sandwiches for lunch. And that was always white bread, butter, (laughs) the lamb, sauce, and that's all. And what sort of sauce? Tomato sauce. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Delicious. Yeah. Nowadays, I still – I don't eat tomato sauce now, but I still don't mind an apologetic and a little bit sneaky – Roast lamb, white bread and butter sandwich with salt. Oh, but I, I will do the same with corned beef. Yeah, I'll corn do that beef, with corned beef too. Tomato but don't sauce. worry about oh. salad. Just I eat know. it, bread, meat, butter, salt. I don't know why. Like it doesn't make mm. sense. Like I'm so healthy with all my other mm, cooking and yet spot. with this sort of like it's like a, it's got a, it's, it's got an emotional sort of um, resonance mm. for me. Okay. What about tuna casserole? Is this what you would call uh, tuna morning? Yeah, tuna casserole is what we grew up calling it. Mm-hmm. Mornay was a fancy word that came along later. And I only kind of equated it, like once I, you know, learned a bit of French cooking, I only then equated the Mornay with the cheese sauce that mm-hmm. we were always having. And again, that's the à l'anglaise, used mm. the English word rather than the French one. So, yeah, we always called it casserole. And because mum, that was one of the things that mum often made too, was a casserole and mm-hmm. it was always in the oven and she would flour, like it might be chicken or so on, flour the meat and put it in with um, whatever else she was using. And so it was an oven-baked dish. Mm. Um, so Is th- this the casserole, the, the stew in the oven? Well, she used to make stews on the top of the stove mm. in the pressure cooker or sometimes just in a pot, but anything that was cooked in the oven mm-hmm. was a casserole. Okay, so that's the and difference. And I don't know. Yep, that's the difference. That was what Mum um, used to say. And I've just got to say, it's reminded me of one of the fancier, most delicious dishes that she used to do was apricot chicken. Oh, my God. Oh, that's I such a that. 70s food. Yep, yep. And I think that had the chicken noodle soup. I'm going to see if it's in my 1984 yeah, dinner party it was cookbook. The tinned apricots, of course. <laughs> yeah, and apricot nectar. Maybe it was just the apricot nectar yeah. mixed in. It was, you know, those sometimes you know there's those recipes that only take two or three ingredients, yeah. and they are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of them. We had it with white boiled rice, boiled in Very water, fancy. and then drained <laughs> off. <laughs> No absorption method there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a really good one. But that was definitely a casserole that was in the yeah. in the oven. And I kind of remember that that was when mum was making, you know, making us a, a really lovely meal. A it would usually meal. be a casserole. A stew was just a quick and dirty top of the stove. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I don't think my mum made casseroles or stews. Um, I've made those. But, um, but as I said before, she would make pea and ham soup and... I made some the other night and I just want to do a few a few little tips for a pea and ham soup. I, I use like Stephanie Alexander recipe as the base, but I use a lot more bacon bones to, to make it really flavoursome. And I I would highly suggest that you use about a third red lentils and then the other two thirds with is the um, split peas. Just because the red lentils make it a little bit lighter mm. and they'll sort of disintegrate really easily. So, so I use about 300 grams of mixed red lentils and uh, split peas, about four litres of water. I used about a kilo of bacon bones mm. from Milner. And, of course, you pull them out at the end so it doesn't matter. And then an onion, carrot, thyme and bay leaves. And then I cook that for about an hour and a half. 
chop up your and your, your carrot small because it, you're not going to puree it up. Then I just pulled out the bones at the end and then I add frozen peas. Uh-huh. It's kind of my own sort of uh, addition and it's just great. Particularly the green peas stop mm. it from being like this dodgy, mushy yeah. food. And how much soup do you end up with? Uh, I had enough for three people with a little bit left over. So mm. three to four people, yeah. I remember making pea and ham soup when I was an adult, a young adult, and it would be nice, but then I'd come upon it the next day and it would be like... Solid? <laughs> like <laughs> like this kind of living sort of gross thing. Yeah. yeah. It didn't really turn me on. But I think probably I was overdoing the split peas. Yeah, I think it's very easy to overdo the split peas and that's why I was suggesting that you put in a, a large quantity of bacon bones so you've got the mm. flavour there and you you can sort of you know, have a lot more liquid um, mm. than, than you might think you need. So I, I think Stephanie's recipe calls for three litres. I put four litres mm. in and I didn't have to add anything and it was really good. It's probably mm, one of the best I've made, right yeah. Up. Well, I think that's about it for uh, savoury foods for tonight. How about we talk puddings? Mm. Oh, before we talk puddings, I just want to talk cookbooks because you can get a lot of these old these old style foods in cookbooks. And I've got one here, which is the 21st birthday cookbook from the CWA in Tasmania. And that's got mm. a lot of really old foods, it's old recipes in cover. it. It is beautiful. And it's got... Or whole lot, not not throughout every recipe, for, but a lot of recipes have got people's names. So it's a, so they've all submitted these recipes. So like Elsie Blunt from Claremont has given a paradise apple tart recipe. Oh yum, yeah. And marshmallow pudding from J V Williamson in Central Castra. Norwegian trifle, hmm, e piece from Bridgewater. You can look through op shops now, and mm. I think you can if you know what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah, I've got the South Australian branch of the CWA's Cake a Day calendar oh, at uh, home. Oh, it's a calendar. Yeah, so every it just it's got every date of the year yeah. and there's a recipe for, for a different a cake. cake, and its contributor is noted and where they're from as well. Oh my god! Mm, and there's no illustrations. <laughs> so yeah, same thing <laughs> as this one. No illustrations whatsoever. Um, and you told me about an even older one where old the, the one I'm talking about here is 1956. Mm. Now you said you had an older well, one. Well, it just looks older than that book. It's mm. um, it's the paper's gone really soft and yeah. it's only stapled and some of the page like they're just starting to come out. So mm. I don't actually use it very much because I feel like it's actually a bit of a heritage item. Mm. I keep meaning to scan it and do something about it. Yeah, I've never ever used this cookbook, but I've got it there just mm. in case one day I need a baked lemon souffle recipe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd find those recipes would all be tried and tested and they'd cook yeah. really well. I did notice that they've got quite a few recipes for cooking kangaroo in here, oh, okay. which I was quite surprised at. That's what? something we never ate when we were no, growing no, up. No, not at all. Duck, we always used to have a lot of duck. Yeah, we had duck and goose. Yeah. So puddings and desserts, like my mum would almost always have a pudding or a dessert. Mm-hmm. And, and I, looking back, I think it was because she was feeding seven kids mm-hmm. and if there wasn't quite enough food to go around, at least your kids could fill up on um, pudding and desserts. What, yeah. what, what's, do you have the same theory as yeah, me? That was standard. Um, most nights we had a main course and a dessert. And even if it was tinned 
peaches and ice and cream. And ice cream, yes. Like that was sort of like the, you know, the go-to if mm. she hadn't had time to cook anything. But she usually, especially in winter, she'd get a dessert on. Um, it might be rice pudding. It might be bread and butter pudding. She used to make golden syrup dumplings. <gasps> we loved them. They I've never always, made them. Yeah. I I don't usually recommend them. Because um, <laughs> they're just full of sugar, well, butter and you've got to have flour. a lot of golden syrup sauce to kind of you know, <laughs> make the dumplings palatable. But, you know, they were they were good. Dad loved them, of course. And I think that was one of the ones that, you know, his mum used to make. So mum made a bit of an effort there. And really my mum's um, tour de force was always the sponge cake, which was she made for birthdays and special okay, occasions. Yeah, and she no. made a beautiful sponge, still does. Uh, light as a feather, double sponge with cream in the middle and passion fruit icing on top. Ooh. Mm. Now you and I, I, I told you how at my mother's wake they had beautiful big sponges and they had passion fruit icing, mm. but it was... Mm-hmm. A North Queensland version, which was condensed milk with no. passion fruit through it. It's like my absolute, one of my favourites. Really? <laughs> no, we always yeah. had the icing that set hard. Oh, that's good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And like it not dripping, but yeah. Uh, we've got a photo actually. My sister and I took this and I can't remember what the occasion was, but it was some family party and we had quite a lot of family um, travelling and visiting at mum and dad's house and mum had been working for several days cooking the sponges and we had it catered otherwise but mum was doing the sponges for the dessert and she had them all laid out on my childhood bed in the bedroom and (laughs) (laughs) all iced up with their passion fruit pips on the top and um, waiting for the cream to go in and there was about eight of them and they just looked divine sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a country thing that idea mm. of a of a sponge cake. Yeah. Did your mother make it? Did she um, separate the eggs and the whites, or did she keep the eggs whole? Because that seems to be a real variation in sponge cake oh, recipes. Goodness me, I can't remember, but I don't think she separated the eggs because I used to help her when I was little, and I don't remember her doing it. But I do remember her doing it for the pavs, and because it was a big oh, thing. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need so to do I, it for can, pavs. I have that memory of that, but I think with the the sponges no I don't think she separated the eggs yeah no my mother wouldn't have either and I did a cooking course years ago at like the equivalent of the organic farmer sort of uh farm in Tasmania in um in New Norfolk you know you go out into this garden it's an old school and you go out to the garden and you 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 milk the goats and that you um pick all your vegetables and your herbs and he's really good he had some really good tips such as you know if your coriander's flowering you can still use it because it's mm-hmm. still got flavor in it and he had vegetables i'd never come across like scutzanita mm-hmm. um and we milk the goats as i've said before and then you all get together and you cook the meal and then you sit down and you eat it as a group with some stefano lubiano wines which were oh, just really divine. beautiful but um but you have to follow his recipe and there was a woman there and um, we we're following his sponge cake recipe and it was th- the whole egg and she complained because she'd won the best in show sponge cake recipe at ingham show which is where i grew up and mm. this wasn't how she made sponges at all and i had to pick her up and go wow, what are you doing in Ingham? Well, Ingham's in North Queensland and here she was um, doing a cooking mm. class. 
But anyhow, there seem to be a lot of Queenslanders there doing cooking classes and I <laughs> don't know why. I've got – off on a tangent, but it was just – yeah, sponge cakes, yeah, I agree. The, the good old uh, Aussie sponge cake is yeah. you use the whole the whole egg. Let's go back to these um, nostalgic puddings. So rice pudding, did you like your mum's rice pudding, baked rice pudding? Uh, it was all right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I wasn't a big fan of yeah. baked rice pudding, which is basically just cooked rice with, uh, a, yep, you know, sweet. eggs, milk and yep. sugar on the top. Yep. yep. What about now bread and butter pudding? Yeah, right. Well, I never liked bread and butter pudding um, because I have a abhorrence of soggy bread. Yeah, it's and all mum, soggy bread. It was soggy bread and I just didn't get it i just couldn't understand what was in it yep. uh, for anyone trying to eat a uh, bread and butter pudding but a few years ago my nephew gave me a cookbook for christmas a karen martini cookbook mm-hmm. i highly recommend it and in it she had a bread and butter pudding recipe based around using croissants mm-hmm. nutella ricotta cheese Ooh. on the croissants yeah and then making a, you know, a lovely um, custard and yep. you pour that over it. And I think actually now I wonder whether my mum's was soggy because she just didn't use enough eggs and cream. Mm. She would always put the cream on later. So probably a technical issue yep. with putting it together. So I do still make the – well, I actually not so much now because I'm on a diet but and it's a super rich dessert but – I take I've taken that idea of Karen Martini's. I don't do Nutella because I'm not a fan mm. of Nutella. But what it's really good with is marmalade mm. and ricotta cheese. Oh, that's a great Delicious. idea. Yeah, yeah. Because I love that little bit of a citrus yeah. note in it. Yeah, my mum mm. always put um, strawberry jam. Yeah. On hers, a butter strawberry jam and then coconut. And I actually quite oh, liked her bread and butter good. pudding. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can imagine without that sweetness on it, it would be, yeah, not great. I know the bakery seemed to do, it's a great use of sort of old bread, etc. Mm. as well. And mm, they I've do some really theirs, interesting yeah, things. They are yummy, but I can't eat yep. them at the moment because they would make me put kilos <laughs> on. What about like chocolate blancmange? Did what is mum, chocolate blancmange? Oh my God, my mum used to cook this like chocolate, I hated it, this chocolate pudding, which is just basically cocoa milk sugar and i think she thickened it with like corn flour and then you just put it in a container let it chill with um like coconut on the top and it's just i think again you've got to be thinking you've got kids who are hungry Mm. you just you just fill them up on on uh chocolate blancmange Mm. it's really unexciting and i don't really think it i think blancmange sounds to me like a french word and well, I don't it think, yeah, yeah, it was. We had the chocolate self-sourcing pudding. That was always a winner. Oh, okay, we never very, we had that. No, oh, ever. that was always a winner. And then on various, oh, a few times, Mum made the lemon delicious, which is also a self-sourcer. That's also yummy. Um, it's a very special thing. The that old was, lemon yeah, delicious. Need, you yeah. needed the lemons, but she did have a lemon tree and. Uh, still does have the same lemon tree it's still producing oh, well really yeah and yeah so we did have lemon delicious and it was delicious but what you've just said about blamange actually brought back a memory <laughs> of something that got us really excited when we were kids and it was junket <gasps> yes and you'd buy the junket tablet and you'd drop it in yeah. milk and it would you know set the milk yeah it's rennet it's rennet basically yeah. But 
they don't work anymore. And it's because I've got some of junket the, tablets um, at home. What they do to milk, uh, you, we're not drinking whole milk, so that just doesn't work very well. Okay, in, I, I I um I found a recipe for ricotta which used junket tablets, and I looked everywhere oh, for them. And I did buy them, but I haven't a, seen them. Yeah, you can get them at Coles, and I've actually got an advertisement here in my CWA cookbook for junket tablets. It's not fashionable and hasn't been fashionable for a long time, but no. you could get chocolate junket tablets. Yep, chocolate, strawberry, and uh, there was another flavour that we used to get. It might have been orange. And that sat alongside the other, you know, perennial yep. favourite, which was jelly. We of had course, a lot of jelly. Jelly, jelly yep. yeah. But my other, my mum always put two sachets of jelly in, so she'd always put double the amount mm. of jelly that oh, you yeah. were meant to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, because, yep. you know, one jelly packet doesn't go very And you never far. just make it with gelatin. You have to actually make it with um, jelly. And was it port, port wine Oh, yeah, jelly? the port wine. <laughs> <laughs> we loved the port wine and the green one. Oh, no, we never had Lime. the green one. Yeah, no, Lime. we often had the green one as yeah, well. Yeah, look at this Merry Widow Junkets. Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> it's got um, that old mixing bowl too. Okay, look, we're going to have to finish up. But before I do, can I say the words Sago? Oh, we didn't have it. Oh, really? No, we didn't have it. Apparently my grandmother used to cook it, but my mother didn't like it. Okay, so we used to no. call it Frog's Eyes. Oh. Yeah. No, we didn't do Sago. I'm still very partial to Sago. Mm. Look, yeah. so many things there to go and think about cooking. And I don't want to cook these foods in summer, but I really, really love mm. cooking all these foods mm. in winter. Mm-hmm. And just look at um, bookshops, op shops, etc. There's lots of really old cookbooks and you can always buy some of them online. Um, I, I couldn't find much on the internet, believe it or not, of some of these mm. old cookbooks. It's daggy. It is very daggy. The internet it's a lots daggy. of fun. It's lots of fun. Look, that's it for tonight's show. You've, of course, been listening to Kitchen Radio. My special guest tonight was Margaret Carew. We've been having a little journey down um, cooking memory lane. It's been lots of fun. I don't know what I'm going to go home and cook now after tonight's show. What about you, Margaret? I'm getting takeaway tonight. Are you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. I haven't even thought about dinner. Just a reminder, Food for Alice is actually reopening tomorrow, which is very exciting, and um, it's actually at the community gardens, so I'm no longer on Gap Road. I think it's open from 9 o'clock, so that's uh, nice and close for me and for you, Margaret. Yep. See so you look, there. See you there. I'm going to go out tonight with yet the ultimate in a nostalgic uh, song, and that's actually The Seekers singing I'll Never Find Another You. Good night. Um, Tune in next week to Kitchen Radio on 102.1 FM in Alice Springs and Tanner Creek. You've been listening to Kitchen Radio on 8CCC 102.1 FM in Alice Springs and Tanner Creek.